0: Uh, good evening, everyone, and thank you so much, Peter. Uh, and thank you, Gordon, for praying for Nigel and as we head off tomorrow. Love those, those words, access, resilience, and relationships. Uh, I, I want to give you three more words, filled, gifted, and fruitful. And, and if you kind of just go away from tonight remembering Gordon's three words and these three words, then that will be enough. Uh, but tonight what we're going to do is, is we're going to look at and think about the last 3 of our 20 things that every Christian and every person should know about the Holy Spirit. Here's the list of 17 that we have determined so far. If If you've been following this series, the Holy Spirit's a person. The Holy Spirit is a distinct person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit was involved in creation. The Holy Spirit was active and present in certain people's lives in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit's our teacher. He can be grieved, he can be quenched. He is the one who convicts. He directs people to Jesus. He glorifies Jesus, the Holy Spirit is our guide, the Holy Spirit is our reminder, the Holy Spirit knows the future, the Holy Spirit can be blasphemed, and then the last one we looked at last Sunday evening is that the Holy Spirit right now is praying for us. Tonight, what I want to look at is the Holy Spirit indwells and fills. That's maybe two, but I needed to keep it to 20, uh, so I've stuck two together. Uh, And then number 19, the Holy Spirit provides gifts, and number 20, the Holy Spirit produces fruit. So uh, let's get into this. We'll start with the first one, but what I want to do is take you back to the fifth one on our list. Uh, the Holy Spirit was active and present in certain people's lives in the Old Testament. And two weeks ago, we named some of the people in the Old Testament that the Spirit of God came upon and filled for particular reasons. Can anybody remember anyone in the Old Testament who, was, who the Holy Spirit came upon for a particular task? Saul, yep. Samson, yep. Joseph, Gideon, or the guy who was the artist. Anybody remember who he was in the temple? Bezalel. I knew it was just on the tip of your tongue, but it's all right. But the point we, we did make is that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon particular people at particular times for particular tasks. That was the pattern. That was how it worked in the Old Testament. But also in the Old Testament, God promised that a new day's coming. A new day is coming. Whenever that restriction, if you like, was going to be lifted. Whenever far more people were going to experience this incredible blessing. And and the most dynamic hint, although it's far more than a hint regarding this reality, is found in Joel 2. Whenever God promises to give, he actually promises to pour out his spirit on all people. I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. In those days I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike. Wow, that was (laughs) that's one of those moments, right? (laughs) Right. But if you then go from Joel to, and you kind of fast forward to the New Testament, and you come to where Jesus tells anyone and everyone who's prepared to listen to him, then one day the Holy Spirit is going to flow from within every single believer, not just specific ones. So here's what Jesus said in John chapter 7 as he stands up on the last. And the greatest day during the festival of tabernacles. This is what Jesus said. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. So a new day is coming It still lies ahead. And in John 15 and 16, as Jesus begins preparing his disciples for his imminent departure, and we've made reference to those chapters many times in this series, but Jesus says over and over again in John 14 and John 15, when the Spirit comes, when the Spirit of truth comes, when the Spirit comes. And so the anticipation is building. And then after his resurrection Whenever Jesus is just about to be taken up, whenever he's just to about to ascend to heaven, he speaks to his followers for one last time and he assures them that the Holy Spirit's coming is now literally a matter of days away. And then it happens. Ten days later, to be exact. Joel's ancient Old Testament prophecy was fulfilled as this historic moment unfolded. They were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit has come. The Spirit has arrived. And as Peter stands up on that dramatic day, to preach, and to attempt to explain what was going on. He made it very clear. Do you know what, see that thing Joel referred to? That ancient prophecy? This is now occurring right before your very eyes. And Peter goes on to encourage everyone to repent and to be baptized and then to receive this gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And from then, from that time on, the Holy Spirit is given to everyone who believes. Remember what Jesus had promised in in John 7, I read it a moment ago, by this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in Jesus were gonna later receive. That's happened. So all those who believe in Jesus will receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives within, he indwells. Every single Christian without exception. And these bodies of ours, as Paul writing to the church in Corinth says, these bodies of yours become temples, dwelling places of the Holy Spirit. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God now? Various terms are used by Luke in his gospel and in Acts to refer to this experience. And so it says we are clothed with the Holy Spirit. We are baptized with the Holy Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit. The pouring out of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit. But it's all more or less the same thing. The gift of the Holy Spirit has been given to each and every Christian. But what is important and fascinating to note that there is no suggestion, certainly not in Luke, nor in other places, that having once filled believers, the Spirit may not or does not need to fill them again. So for example, this is really important, but having been filled with the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, Peter and John who were among that crowd of people who were all gathered in that room and who were all filled with the Holy Spirit. But at some time later, Peter and John and many others are recorded as being filled again. Here's what we read in Acts 4. This is well after the day of Pentecost. After they prayed, that's Peter, that's John, plus an unnumbered crowd of people, the place where they were meeting was shaken And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And so this idea of filling or being refilled and constantly filled is an important aspect of discipleship. And for those who are following our our True ID series in the mornings, you will know that this is something Paul urged all Christians to be. To be filled on an ongoing basis in order to live a life worthy of your calling. So in Ephesians 5 18, he writes, Be filled with the Spirit, which is a present command, which literally means go on being filled. This is not a singular event. Go on being filled. Now I need to set this instruction in its context in Ephesians chapter 5 because you will be aware that Paul has just told Christians, do not get drunk, but instead be filled with the Spirit. And so the key idea here is for the pressing need for all Christians to become increasingly under the influence of the Holy Spirit in stark contrast to being under the influence of excessive alcohol. So do not not get drunk with wine or without any other drink. Do not get drunk, but instead be filled and go on being filled. Go on being more and more influenced by the Holy Spirit. And that growing influence is what Paul and Scripture urges us to pursue And experience. So it is not a one off thing. We as Christians, every single Christian here, needs more of the Holy Spirit. That's one thing I can say with confidence. Every single Christian here this evening needs more of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And therefore, let me encourage you, if you are a Christian, to to yield your life to the Spirit's influence on an ongoing, regular, consistent basis. And if you need to ask tonight, God, God, I need a refill. I need to yield my life to more of the Spirit's influence. Then take this opportunity tonight to do this. Because as Jesus told his disciples, how much more will your your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? The Holy Spirit indwells and fills, and he goes on filling. The the 19th thing I want to mention, I know there's lots in that, and, and the purpose of this series is really the kind of big broad strokes in a sense, but that's the 18th thing. The Holy Spirit indwells, he fills, and he goes on filling. Then the 19th thing. The Holy Spirit provides gifts. And again, this is something that we as a church have touched on recently, Uh, in a series we did in Romans 12 during the summer, and also in our series that we're doing at the minute in Ephesians, and again, particularly Ephesians chapter 4. Now, I realize that this is one of those things about the Holy Spirit that creates its fair share of debate and discussion and tension. But all I'm going to do now, big broad strokes, remember, all I'm going to do now is offer you seven things. I'm, I'm really into numbers at the minute, right? I'm going to offer you seven things about gifts that are just based on God's word. First Corinthians chapter 12 in particular and Romans chapter, I'm just, going to, I'm just going to tell you what is in the biblical text. So here are seven things about gifts. The first is that gifts of the Spirit are gifts of grace. In other words, nobody earns them, nobody deserves them. They are free gifts. That's what the Bible teaches. They are grace gifts. And although like any gift, they then belong to us, it is also sometimes more helpful to understand them as being on loan. A bit like what we were thinking about this morning in church and our family experience about stewardship, that at the end of the day, everything belongs to God. And he gives it to us and he expects us then to be responsible with what he has given to us. Well, gifts of the spirit are grace gifts. We don't earn them, we don't deserve them, they're given to us freely. And that follows then the second point following on from that is that spiritual gifts are given by the spirit. 1 Corinthians 12:11 makes this crystal clear. All of these are the work of the one and the same spirit and he distributes them, spiritual gifts To each one, just as he determines. So spiritual gifts are distributed by the Holy Spirit. Number three, gifts of the Spirit are for the benefit of others. Every time they are given, it says in God's word, for the common good. Many of us will know that Paul in 1 Corinthians, in the book of Corinthians, was writing into a situation where gifts were being misused for selfish reasons, and as a result, there was a sense of chaos reigning in that local church, and relationships were becoming dysfunctional. And so Paul makes it clear that spiritual gifts have been given for everyone's benefit. And so whenever spiritual gifts cause disunity and fracture, whenever they do not edify or develop others, whenever there is a lack of love, and the really important thing to remember about spiritual gifts is, spiritual gifts are written about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and sandwiched in between chapter 12 and chapter 14, chapter 13, which is all about what? Love. Love. And whenever there is a lack of love when it comes to spiritual gifts and the exercise of them, whenever they wreck community, then something is badly, badly wrong. They're given, says God's word, for the common good. Fourthly, Gifts of the Spirit are varied. Paul provides four major lists of gifts in 1 Corinthians, Romans, Ephesians. Peter refers to some more in his first epistle. But the thing is, there is a diversity of them from healing to helps, from tongues to teaching. There are 20 plus gifts mentioned. And certain ones I know hijack all the conversations. But there are 20 plus gifts mentioned in Scripture that the Holy Spirit distributes and gives for the common Good. Fifthly, every Christian is gifted. This is the one that I find most people struggle with, actually. Eleven times in the space of five verses, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul stresses that every believer has been gifted. No Christian should say, say they haven't been. What is your gift? Or gifts? Six gifts of the Spirit should be sought. We are to eagerly desire spiritual gifts. You've got to want them. <laughs> and finally, gifts of the Spirit are given to be used. And so in Romans 12, what did, we, I mean, those of you who, who learned Romans 12, and I know that's huge amount, Ro, those of you who learned Romans 12, what does it say? If your gift is teaching, then what have you to do? Teach. If your gift is giving, then give generously. If your gift is to encourage, then give encouragement. You're given gifts, use them. Don't set them on a shelf. Don't put them under lock and key. Use them. But always remember this. And this is, this is kind of like a big over. Always remember this. They are not for personal or selfish use, but for service to others and for their benefit and always to be used in the context of love. Number 19, the Spirit provides gifts, okay? Number 20, finally, 20th thing you should know about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit produces fruit. Now, I know we did a whole series on the nine segments of the fruit of the Spirit exactly three and a half years ago. Doesn't time fly when you're enjoying yourself. How many people can even vaguely remember at least being there for something of that series? How many people? Okay, quite a few, but what I want to do, just, just as we come to a closing, turn to Galatians chapter five for me. It's page 1172 in the Pew Bibles because in Galatians chapter five, Paul tells every Christian to do this, live by the spirit. That's what we've got to do. And I suppose if you're, if you're looking for an overarching, all-encompassing thought and lesson to take away from this series and these past four weeks, then there it is. Just go, church, and live by the Spirit who provides gifts, who is our guide, who is our teacher, who was present and active at creation, and so on and so on. Live by the Spirit. But the reason this is so important and vital is given to us. The reason for it this is so important is given to us. In Galatians 5, verse 16, have a look at it. It's on the screen as well. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now that is quite a statement. That is quite a promise. That is quite an incentive. That is quite a motivation. Now please notice it doesn't say you will not experience the desires of the flesh it says you will not gratify the desires of the flesh you see and all of us who are christians know this we experience the desires of the flesh i'll guarantee you there's not one single christian here tonight who can say you know during this past week i have not experienced one single desire of the flesh and i want to propose that if you do say that no i'm not going to finish that sentence But we are a conflict zone. Paul makes this really clear in verse 17. Look at it. He teaches that there is this internal battle raging within every single one of us. And those at war within this theatre of conflict, which is our lives, are the sinful nature and the spirit. They occupy the same territory. So let me read what he says. So I say, I'm reading from verse 17. So I say, live by the Spirit. You will not desire, and you will not gratify the desires of the Spirit. For the flesh desires oh, the flesh. Sorry. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do whatever you want to do. And so there is this tension. And I reckon most of us feel it every day. We know what we should do in most situations, but we don't always do it. And so instead of saying the right thing, we end up saying the wrong thing. We end up thinking the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing. I don't know if that resonates with you. That certainly does with me. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, Paul says, listen, if you live by the Spirit, it's not that you will not experience, but if you live by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, even though you still experience them. And then what Paul does is he he lists a whole pile of the desires or the acts of the flesh or the sinful nature, and they're ugly. And there's nothing appealing or attractive about them. Lustful pleasures, fits of rage, quarreling, division, envy. You can read them all in verses 19 to 21. All of those things wreck you. They wreck others. They all come with significant consequences. But then Paul says, in sharp contrast, if you live by the Holy Spirit, his fruit will be produced in you and will become increasingly evident in your life. And that fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And those things, they are attractive. That is appealing. Those things enhance life and relationships. So the Holy Spirit produces fruit as you live by the Spirit. And as that fruit is produced and as you live by the Spirit, then although you will experience and you will always experience the desires of the flesh, you will not gratify them if you're living by the Spirit. So the question is, how do we live by the Spirit? So that his fruit is produced in us So that when opportunities come along, instead of reacting and quarreling and all of that, we're self-controlled and we express love and patience instead of flying off the handle when someone cuts us up in the traffic. How do we live by the Spirit? Well, there is advice here. The penultimate verse of the chapter, Galatians 5. Verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us, and here's the instruction, here's what you've got to do. Keep in step with the Spirit. That's what we've got to do. Keep in step with the Spirit. Don't rush ahead of him. Don't drag behind. Don't neglect the Spirit. Don't dismiss the Spirit. Don't avoid the Spirit. Don't go it along. Don't, don't quench the Spirit. Don't grieve the Spirit. Instead, keep in step with the Spirit. And that is an act of choice. That is a daily decision to stay close and follow his lead. I don't know if you remember the late John Stott's Trinitarian prayer that we get printed out in the wee cards, and I know some of you still carry them in your Bibles. Here's just the first part of that prayer. It's an amazing daily prayer that he prayed apparently every single day of his life, his Christian life. Heavenly Father, I pray that I may live this day in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, I pray that this day I may take up my cross and follow you. This whole idea that following Jesus is a daily decision, a daily taking up of our crosses. And Holy Spirit, I pray that this day you will fill me with yourself. There's that going on being filled. Fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. And you see, when we pray that and we mean that, I believe that is one conscious, tangible way of keeping in step with the Spirit. Where every single day before we head out into the today, we say, Holy Spirit, I pray this day that you'll fill me afresh. Fill me again and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. That gets us off to a start of keeping in step with the spirit. Twenty things. There they all are. The last three. Are you filled? Do you tonight you need to go on being filled by the spirit? Do you recognize that? Do you recognize that you need the Spirit's greater influence in your life? Are you gifted? If you're you're a child of God, you are gifted. Are you using your gifts for the common good? And are you being fruitful? Are you being more loving, more patient, more kind, more gentle? As the Holy Spirit produces that fruit in your life as you keep in step with him and live by his spirit.